Welcome back, Literary Slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we are reading books outside of our comfort zones. I'm Anna. And I'm Em. This week on Shelf Aware, we are uh, delving into the second book in my current unit, which is on the great American novel. Uh, We kicked off the unit with The Great Gatsby, and we are now reading The Color Purple by Alice Walker. Yeah. Um, Guys... (laughs) <laughs> this book was really good and sad, so jokes might not be so heavy this episode. I feel like I do have to disclaimer that. Um, I feel like this is going to be a lot like when we recorded the Ghost Cat episode. Not the first Ghost Cat episode, but the other the Ghost other, Cat episode. The, the one where the cat was alive for most of it. Yeah. Um and we were like, well, it was well written. And I mean, like, it wasn't personally to our taste, but we were like, it's a good book. And there's not, and it's pretty sad. So, like, we're just going to tell personal stories about, like, our dead pets. And then I was like, oh, that was a bummer, and cut out, like, 15 minutes of the podcast <laughs> in which we just told personal <laughs> stories about our dead pets. Um, yeah, so I, I don't feel have like a lot this of personal is, stories. Uh, yeah, I'm like, I feel like this is going to go either to, like, just complete tangents, or it's mm-hmm. just not going to be... It's just not going to be joke heavy this week, guys. No, so let's hope no. For some good um, I'm going to go ahead and just here's some content warnings: uh, sexual assault, uh, racism, obviously, uh, domestic violence, um, incest. Incest. Oh my god! Yes, I forgot incest, but then maybe not incest, but still incest. It's still incest. <laughs> I think we can call it here now. It still counts. Yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, for those unfamiliar with The Color Purple, this is just, it was a book written It's a in mixture the of red and blue. <laughs> yes. Yep. It's, a, it's a secondary the color. There's the joke for the podcast. We did it. All right. The rest of it's going to be so serious now, and there's no more jokes allowed now. <laughs> Uh, it's a book written in the 1980s about a um, family, a black family living in the South at the very turn of the century, I want to say. And by the turn of the century, I do mean when it became 1900s, not the current turn of the century that we're experiencing, possibly. I mean, basically indistinguishable. <laughs> it feels that way, yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, so this is a heavy book. I there's really no way to avoid talking about the events that happen in it. Um, I didn't notice it was too heavy. I got it on Kindle. But wow, joke. another one zinger. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the dad also, energy I'm think, bringing today. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I think we'll probably have a, a longer list of content warnings in the show notes because uh, there are a lot of them. So just tread carefully with this episode. Um, like I said, we can't really avoid talking about it because that is that is all the events of the story. It's very sad at the end and you don't get happy till the very, very end. <laughs> so and even then you're like, this is kind of happy, I guess. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Interesting. How did you feel? I really like this book, number one. I um, knew you would. I was like, yeah, this is the, this is that sad stuff that M likes, which is like, I'm not discounting. Like, okay. I don't want it to okay. make it sound like I'm flippant of the events of this book because they are like very, very like uh, realistic events. Um, 
but this is the kind of the sad shit that you like to read about. <laughs> okay, but actually, because you told me going in before uh-huh. I started, you're like, oh, it's so sad. You're going to love it. So maybe I was thinking it was going to be more sad, but I was reading it. I was like, mm, not that sad. Like, I mean, like, distressing, M. certainly, certainly <laughs> distressing. But like, sad? I don't know. I don't know if I was sad. Uh, like, definitely there were points that were sad. But, like, yeah. the overall tone I didn't find to be that sad. And I thought the ending was very uplifting. I think the the overall tone of it is very matter-of-fact in a mm-hmm. way that someone is very detached from the trauma that they are describing to another person yeah. via letters. It's a pistolary novel also, um, which sort was of. what saved it for me because it was, it went quickly enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because I was like, this, this is, it's very triggering right from the very beginning, and it doesn't let up really uh, for a while. So, <laughs> well, let's talk about other things first, though. <laughs> okay. Before we get into the plot of the novel, we have to talk about the great American novel. Yes. So, everyone, what please be seated at your desks. Get out your notebooks and your ballpoint pens, number two pencils. Take some notes. I'm ready. For the educational portion of this podcast, what is the great American novel? Um, American listeners, you might already have a vague idea of what this means. Um, just based on what you were assigned in, to read in English classes. Um, and I'm actually like, I'm kind of interested in hearing if our international listeners had to cover any of these books in their literature classes as well. I don't, I feel like, like To Kill a Mockingbird is considered one of the greatest books mm-hmm. in the American canon of all time ever, like kind of undisputed champion situation. But like, is this, is it as applicable? I don't know. Is it, is it as lauded? I guess not applicable. Is it as lauded in other countries as it no, is here? No, I think, I think applicable makes sense. Like kind of thinking of Great Gatsby, like I yeah. don't know that that would be a particularly useful text to read if I was a student in any other country aside from America, unless I was specifically True. studying American literature, right? Like, yes. So I could see it maybe being like a college course or something like that. You might have had to read Great Gatsby, but I don't. I, I would be interested to hear from any international listeners like what were you, like a where are you from and b um, like what what was your high school or equivalent curriculum, right? Yes, yeah, because um, especially for non English, like non English as uh, the national language folks. Yeah, like, yes. What sort of texts were you guys reading? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what gets translated or like yeah because because we have I think it's pretty typical in American high schools is to have like or at least I guess in mine we had one year of English literature and then another year like our junior year of high school our second to last penultimate year of high school um American literature and then our senior year was British literature um so so you had English and British was it mm -hmm. just oh okay did you only have American uh, we didn't have it split up that way oh. of, like, we do by, like, Brit lit versus American lit. Mm. Um, we just had, like, units. So we that did, like, sense. okay, this is Shakespeare. I, I know for our first, like, freshman year, we did, like, a couple Shakespeare plays and some, like, uh, the cl- a few classics, um, mm-hmm. like, selections from because we were stupid. Uh, and I think To Kill a Mockingbird was either eighth grade or freshman year. I can't remember. And then, yeah, as we went on, it was more like, okay, so now we're doing a Plath unit. Now we're doing a sh- another Shakespeare unit. Mm. Now we're, do- you know, like that sort of thing. Yeah, we didn't do authorial units. We did. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just like the whole year was like, here's what this country made. <laughs> but my question is, okay, so you had you had your 
earlier year was English lit, and then you had British literature. So what was American the, literature, yeah. Right, but then, you said then the last year was British. Yes. Uh huh. So by English lit, do you mean like from the country of England or just anything in English? No, I think I misspoke. I meant American literature. No, there were three. You said. No, I sorry, I did misspeak. Okay, <laughs> it's only okay. two two years. I can't remember what we did freshman and sophomore. Okay, because I was like, that's really weird that they would specify specifically English versus British. Yes, <laughs> yes, I think that's my mistake. I was not clear because I was stumbling over my words. Um, sorry to call you out now. No, no, you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think we read a lot of non-American literature. My freshman year of high school Mm -hmm. but I can't remember because we as freshmen we were still in the junior high building so that to me is like a whole nother lifetime I don't remember that and then sophomore year we did a mix that's when we did Mm -hmm. a lot of our like Shakespeare and stuff was sophomore year and then junior year was all Hawthorne to kill a mockingbird all that boring shit but we did have like um our like our the second semester or we got to choose a lot of times like Okay, now we're gonna read a an Im, an immigrant story. So everyone choose which book out of this list you want to read, whatever. Mm. So that's kind of nice. Um, but then British literature, we went all the way from Beowulf on to more modern stuff. Hmm. So yeah, we did a little bit of non uh, American or English stuff, like or British. Um, we did do like Chinua Achebe and um, oh, yeah. I guess I some I, of the classic stuff. I, think uh, I, read that. I think I read that for British literature. That seems I feel like I read that my senior year of high school, but I that mean, doesn't apply, so I don't yeah, know why. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I did read that, though. I know, right? I feel like that's, like, the one African text that every American yes. high school student That reads. or, like, Zora Neale Hurston. No, but that's not even African. That's African American. Oh, that's American. right. Yeah. Like, we do a few African American texts, but not, yeah. you know, like, um, from the continent of Africa yeah. writers. Oh, we do a, uh, the, what is it, The Heart of Darkness. Uh, that totally, See, we, did, we totally. skipped Heart of Darkness. We didn't. Oh. We didn't fuck with that. Oh, yeah, we did that one. It was terrible. We had to have it explained to us multiple times when we did our uh, T.S. Eliot unit because he, I think, references references it in one of his poems. Anyway. Um, this is all very fascinating information. <laughs> I know. Us just rehashing. Anyway, so what did you read? Uh, <laughs> so, yes. Um well, I guess we can we can move forward. We can move on from reminiscing. But uh, there was an essay in 1868 written by John William DeForest called The Great American Novel, which is where we get the term. And he was a veteran of the Civil War. He fought for the Union and an author most known for his book titled Miss Ravenel's Conversion from Secession to Loyalty, which that's very to the point, I guess. No guessing what that (laughs) book is about. (laughs) But he, he said that The Great American Novel was the picture of the ordinary emotions and manners of American existence. And then the part of the essay, which I really like is when he called out a bunch of big name authors like Washington Irving and Nathaniel Hawthorne and was like, these books are just okay, but either they are too <laughs> fantasy ish or they're super bland and the characters aren't American enough. <laughs> All right. Shots <laughs> fired. Yeah. And then he also claimed that uncle Tom's cabin is pretty close to being the great American novel, but it has some pretty serious faults, one of which being a black man painted whiter than the angels and a girl such as girls are to be, perhaps, but are not yet. So, yikes, yikes. that was his issue with Uncle Tom's Cabin, huh? That was yes. it. <laughs> There's a lot of faults, he said. <laughs> he did say the plot was one of them, but did not go into like the specifics. Uh, I mean, it's a bad plot, but I, you know, 
we're not here to rehash Uncle Tom's Cabin, certainly. It Please, did no what it came to do. ask us to do that. The, the thing is, Uncle Tom's Cabin, as a piece of propaganda to get white people to care about uh, enslaved folks, uh, sure, yeah, it works. As a novel, not the best. <laughs> Just going to go ahead and say it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so DeForest basically said he was a big fan of the way that the dialogue sounded authentic and American and that there was a national breadth to the book. Which I guess was also a problem that he had with some of the Hawthorne stuff. Is he's like, that's just about New England, and they're weird up there. <laughs> so, what are some criteria for what the great American novel can be? Um, according to Wikipedia, you know everybody's favorite source, it must encompass the entire nation and not be too consumed with a particular region. It must. Okay, be- so fuck the Great Gatsby then. Yeah, Great Gatsby was very like. Hamptons-esque and yeah, also like super localized yes yeah whatever but you know it takes place in and around New York City so <laughs> what is America if not New the York characters City? are from Missouri or something originally yeah, who yeah. knows who cares whatever <laughs> there's money everywhere fuck the poors <laughs> America is money <laughs> uh it must be democratic in spirit and form um okay all right what um i feel like the okay i'm sure that maybe if i sat down and parsed that i would be able to make sense of it but my initial thought is okay democratic means like chosen by the people right the books have the right to vote i'm thinking choose your own adventure novels are the only great american (laughs) novels alternamorphs here we come Its author must have been born in the United States or have adopted the country as his or her own. All right. Which I guess is why Nabokov is allowed to have Lolita be considered a great American novel. I don't, I don't. I mean, it's <laughs> it's beautifully written, but I don't know who it's, who it's like, what it's trying to say about Americans as a people. <laughs> um and its true cultural worth must not be recognized upon its publication. So Wow, that's seems a little I that that one doesn't really apply to the color purple because it did win the Pulitzer Prize. And I feel like um, most of the books that I'm thinking of as great American novels were fairly popular at the time. And if anything, yeah. that's what kind that's what of makes them have staying power. Yeah. I mean, but you know, we read the stuff that was popular at the time for better or for worse. For the most part, like, yeah, we're not reading, you know, the indie indie publishers of the 1800s, <laughs> the Kindle Unlimited of the right, Great American right. Canon. Like, the books were very expensive to publish when you had to do them all individually. I'm sure they were not wasting money on the unpopular books. So, I mean, maybe for a first run, but like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. But, you know, it's 2021, so I think we can kind of all agree that it would be extremely difficult to encompass the American experience in general without it being too centered on whiteness. So some people have argued that we should build a literary canon that displays all aspects of the American experience, but, like, we kind of have that already, and it doesn't do a great job (laughs) of being (laughs) all-encompassing. Here, here, I feel like we need... (sighs) I feel like that list of, like, what is the great American novel, like, doesn't even make sense to me because, number one, like you said, like, there is, there. this is the problem with America, right? This is it. The <laughs> this one is problem. it. The one problem. <laughs> the one problem. We found Here it. it. We're going to um, solve no, it. No, but in terms of the great American novel, like, America is a mess 
and <laughs> always has been like, always let's has be real <laughs> and the idea of like okay there being a national piece of fiction right i feel like this is slightly easier to obtain in countries that are not like fucking stupidly big and mm-hmm. don't have the same culture from point a to point b right like there is right i, I you can argue about if there is a a you know American culture till you're blue in the face but the fact of the matter is that if you pick up a like community from uh the rural midwest and set it down and compare it to like a community from either of the coasts I say this as a person from the midwest who currently lives in the midwest like those are two different cultures and I mean yes there is overlap of course but like the idea that any one book can encompass all of America is just complete nonsense to me and I I like, I feel like that's probably true of most countries to some extent, mm-hmm. but, like, specifically this country, which is supposed to be a melting pot, but is more of a, you know, <laughs> charcuterie board at this point. Um, <laughs> like, it, it just, you, you're not going to be able to encompass the entire culture in one book. It, you just aren't. You cannot. Yeah. You can't. That's <laughs> impossible. Um. Yeah, I think even between you and I, like our quote unquote American stories would be very different. Yes, and what for we, sure. Yeah, yeah. And we both did grow up in the Midwest. Just I'm biracial. And, and that I'm I gay. Think, like, yeah. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> um, and, and then bringing it back around to To Kill a Mockingbird as well, which people have said like, oh, this book, like even John Scalzi has written a whole our uh, essay on his blog about why it is the great American novel. Like, sure, it does grapple with racism in America, um, but, like, the hero of the story is a white male yeah, lawyer, and we don't hear it, have any heroes from, like, African-American culture in that book. So, Also, even aside from Atticus Finch being the hero, it is still told through the lens of white children, right? Yes. Like, it's, like, uh, it's still very much centering white voices. Yes. And that's not i not to say it's it's a bad book or anything but like to say it is the great american novel i'm like well okay it's it's a great american novel for like this one tiny slice of america right Mm -hmm. like yes yes so i think we need to throw out that like qualification that it needs to somehow magically represent all of america because i don't think that's possible like yeah and i mean honestly in 1868 there was a lot less america to grapple that's with as true well, so. yeah he they had an easier job back then like that's why the so country. many of the great american novels are old because it was just easier it was yes yes <laughs> nathaniel hawthorne was like new england that's all we have that's it, that's it. we about? got it we got this in the bag guys i figured it out <laughs> Oh. They're really repressed and they don't like sex a lot, but sometimes they do and it gets them in trouble. Figured it out. Got it. Done. <laughs> America. <laughs> oh. So and you know what? He was right. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like with this unit, like we kind of wanted to explore books that are more modern mm-hmm. and also from the perspective of the BIPOC population. Mm-hmm. Um and or even just like LGBTQIA plus 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 population as well. Cause I feel like that, that is like a specific thing that I've never, like there are, I don't, are there any great American novels that are like specifically queer literature? Um, I feel like James Baldwin. Mm. 
I haven't read any of this stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe rent? I don't know. Maybe rent. Maybe rent is the great American novel for the gays. I will say, I think it is very important to note that there is a huge difference between, like, queer culture and, like, its need for rep- representation and, like, uh, uh, racial representation, right? Because it's like, okay, yes, both are marginalized, but, like, it it's very different to be marginalized on the basis of your ancestors were all enslaved Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. the struggles that queer people face. I mean, not saying that, you know, like they, we have it easy or anything, but like, like let's, I I feel like it's, it's a, I am more interested in the great American novel as a, a, uh, a racial Mm -hmm. via the racial lens than the um, sexuality lens. Yes. I think, the uh from a racial different race racial perspective i don't know what i'm trying to say it would be um more prevalent to today as well maybe maybe Mm. i'm just saying that because i am more affected by racial issues but i think that i i guess what i think it is is that that people have it easy by any point no i think really what i'm trying to say is that i think that like queerness is not attached to national identity in Mm -hmm. the way that race is right like it's like um there there is specifically like that intersection of being a black american right versus like yeah that exists for queer americans to some extent but for a lot of us we still have the privilege of whiteness or we are experiencing racialized violence for those of us who are you know in queer or in uh, communities of color so mm-hmm. I mean like I feel like in terms of the great American novel that sort of like attachment to a national identity matters more for like uh, uh, ethnic groups and mm-hmm. race versus mm-hmm. uh, sexual identity yeah yeah that makes sense like American dream is very persistent even today like people mm-hmm. believe in it fullheartedly yeah and others of us are so jaded it doesn't matter anymore nothing matters oh man i had uh, a family member over the fourth of july holiday which happy birthday america um <laughs> was found an article i think on it was on one of the bigger like new york times or washington post or something one of them um that was, they read the headline and they were like apparently uh the radical left is offended by the american flag now i'm like well you know if you do see someone flying in someone's yard you can make a lot of assumptions about that person (laughs) yeah it's it's this weird thing of being like okay i'm not saying that having like a huge tie to your national identity and like real intense patriotism and pride is a bad thing but it does like it does (laughs) Stick some boxes for me. And and I very gently said, well, you know, like other countries don't. Don't, don't do rep- any of this. Yeah, they don't hold the flag as like, I don't know. So so they don't find it their flags as holy as we find our flags. Yeah. And this person said back to me, that's because they don't have as much freedom as we do. The most serious. Oh, <laughs> I feel like this also, though, kind of ties back. We are talking so much about the the concept of the Great American Novel because we don't want to talk about this book because it was. Too it was just. Sad it's not going to be interesting. I'm sorry. <laughs> like it might be if you're interested in listening to what the color purple is about, but you don't want to read it. That we we could be your cliff notes for that, I suppose. 
Um, like you're bringing up an interesting point with the flag thing because it's like, okay, and maybe some of our international listeners can again chime in on this. Uh, what's up with like, do you guys have an analogous thing? Is there like, like, I, I mean, like I definitely remember it studying in college, like people mentioning like, oh, the great Irish novel and stuff like that. But like, mm, yeah, is is that a thing in other countries of like the great blank novel, right? Like, Good question. It, I'd never or is that, that just another dumb bullshit American thing where we're like, we have to have a great book. We're so good. <laughs> Our books are so good. Our books are so good. We need one one book to define every person in our country. <laughs> Just love tacking on great and America to things. Oh, yeah. We've been I think really what we're learning here. Doing it from the inception. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. God. Um, so we, we're talking about the color purple today, which was not taught in my high school English classes. Me and either. I guess not yours because you never read it either. Um, I mean, that doesn't mean it was taught. I skipped a lot of books in high I school, man. I don't I read like three fourths of a lot of the books that we were assigned. Like I kind of know what Tale of Two Cities I is about. Skimmed a lot. Oh, Tale of Two Cities. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this movie this book was has also been adapted into a film and a musical, mm-hmm. which I only bring up because I found it very difficult to read this book at certain points. I can't imagine like how emotionally packed a film or like a music people singing and maybe dancing about the story would be. So I think I mentioned when we like introed this up that um, I had heard songs from the musical before yeah. just because they like, sad. You know, uh, well, I didn't have the context for them. Okay. So like I, cause this is the thing I'll do a lot. If a musical that I'm not familiar with pops up on my Spotify or whatever, mm-hmm. um, like I'll go read the Wikipedia article for it. And I guess I did that with this book at some point, like the, the musical version of this at some point. Uh-huh. Um, Cause it, uh, throughout it, I was like, I think this is what happens next. And then that's what the thing would be because I'd read the Wikipedia article for the musical. <laughs> so I was like somewhere in my brain was lodged this information. And I was like, Oh yeah, her sister's not dead. Like she's definitely still alive. Like, <laughs> Or like, Spoilers. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure like she's going to get married to this dude. You know, like, it yeah. Was, I was like, God damn it. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. I, I was just looking at the, at the words or not the words. Sorry. I was looking at the titles of the songs and they mm. all seem very like very innocent. If you didn't know mm. what the some. musical is about. I do like this one called Miss Seeley's Pants. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would like to listen to that song. Cause I feel like it would have like a good, like montage of people making mm-hmm. pants. Yeah. For sure. Um, but yeah, I just, the first act one, I don't know, man. I don't know if I'd want to watch or listen to that. I, I just, I don't know. I, I think I have to watch the movie because I also cannot imagine Whoopi Goldberg in the lead mm-hmm. role. Yeah. Just based on my, the few times I've seen Sister Act and today's Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> I don't know. Ghost. I mean, I feel like that's that was a formative mm. whoopee. I never saw that. Really? I, I saw it ghost. multiple times, but never to the end. Because <laughs> it was like a movie that we watched at sleepovers a lot. And I'd be what? like, I'd fall asleep during it. Yeah, like I would At least too. twice, I think. That Seems happened. like an interesting choice for a sleepover movie. I don't know. I don't know. what was that? You know, the blockbuster had limited options. <laughs> <laughs> was that or Swan Princess for the 18th time? Just kidding. Swan Princess was a movie I watched by myself Swan at home Princess alone when I was slapped. sick. Were we talking about Swan Princess recently? Yes, yes, okay. we were. 
<laughs> sounded familiar. Um, all right. Well, we've we've stalled for thirty minutes, and we still haven't done our our books for the week. Yeah. Okay. All right. We could. That's another thing we can stall on. That's, um, we can stall that way. So, who would you recommend this book to? Everyone. Everyone who wants to read it. Handle I suppose. The content. Yeah. Cool. Done. Check that. Got um, it. What other books you've been reading? <laughs> so I was on, I was traveling on vacation. I read a lot of garbage. So nothing mm-hmm. that I can really recommend. Um, I did read, I'm a very big mood reader. And so I, like, I would pick things up and then I just, I put down a lot of books this past couple of weeks. But um, one book that did catch my attention was A Touch of Darkness by Scarlett St. Clair. Do you think mm, I've sent yeah. you this before? It's a it's a Hades and Persephone retelling right. in a modern setting. Um, the gods have like they've come down from Olympus basically, and they exist, and people know them and worship them, and they're ageless and immortal. And Persephone is um, the goddess of spring, obviously, but she has been in hiding because of you know the whole myth and so she's been in hiding and she accidentally comes into contact with Hades at a nightclub that he owns and he makes a wager with her and he says hey um I bet that you can't create life in the underworld in the next six months and if you can't then you have to stay down there with me forever does she get pregnant uh no not in this book I don't know it's a series that seemed like that was gonna be the thing that she she create life in the underworld no it was like oh she had a party at Hades castle and and the spirits all love her the souls all love her whatever and everyone's a lot happier when Persephone's around and Hades is a big grumpus when she's not so (laughs) you know and there's sex It was good. It held my attention. It's on Kindle Unlimited. Also read it. Um, and then I read some. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the title of this book because I don't I don't want to like it's not something I would recommend, but it did. It was entertaining for what it mm-hmm. is. I kind of read it in the style of um, what our podcast used to be. But I don't it's it's an indie book, so I don't want to call it out. But it is a K-pop romance in which um, members of the band are paranormal beings oh yeah yeah yeah. you were telling me about this one I had to tell you about it later because it was it was entertaining in a way that would be very easy for us to talk about on the podcast it's Mm. not it's not poorly written it's just there's a lot going on (laughs) it's heavy (laughs) what about you um I also have been reading a lot of stuff uh because we've been on a break from the podcast because we've been traveling um Mm -hmm. number one finish the third book in that goblin series I was telling you about they finally did have sex oh thank god three books though to wait for sex I know I I feel like I don't have to read four and five now so I'm good um (laughs) I finished the soulmate equation by Christina Lauren which her books are always kind of like hit or miss for me but I did like this one an awful lot um and then I went to one of our old favorites, Sylvia Moreno Garcia, who has Ooh, a new novella mean? out called The Return of the Return of the Sorceress. Oh, I wanted to read that. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was tight. Excellent. Um, I love her books. God. Yeah, very like D and D feel, except of course like in the sort of like Mesoamerican, uh, you know, setting that Sylvia Moreno Garcia tends to write in mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. but overall good good quick novella read and then right now i'm reading um blackwater sister by zen cho um and i'm only and about a third of the way in say another podcast favorite we've talked about her a couple times have we i totally yeah. forget you read the terracotta bride and i feel like oh, i read yeah, something yeah. by her also mm-hmm. and talked about on podcast could be misremembering uh, possible possible um 
it's good so far. And it also relates to this book because like this book, there's rubber farming in it. So that was a weird Clear, coincidence. Clear, precise connection. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But yeah, it's about like a girl who uh, goes back to Malaysia and uh, gets sort of possessed-ish a little bit by the ghost of her dead grandma. I like how mm-hmm. I said dead grandma, like she might have gotten possessed by the ghost of her living grandma, which would <laughs> also be wild. You know, maybe she can, um, what is it called? Astral you... project? Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you for finishing the joke I couldn't make. Um, I can give you a list of books I picked up and put down if you'd like. I think that's probably okay. I got one or two of those too. I don't think we need to. I don't think we need to shade those authors here. No, I'm not shading them. It's just I was not in the mood for them, and I Mm. do own them all, so I do want to get back to them. I just haven't. Maybe I'll read them eventually, though, and I'll be able to talk about them at my podcast then. Yes, I think that's the best call there. Mm -hmm. Speaking about talking about things on the podcast. (laughs) All right, all right, let's do it. Let's talk about the color purple by Alice Walker. Here we go. What if we just read the track list for the uh, cast recording and that was basically it? What if we okay. just did that? And that Overture. Ex- <laughs> no, totally <laughs> kidding. <laughs> Huckleberry Pie. Oh, so I'm looking at a different cast recording, I think, because I do not see Huckleberry Pie. I think oh, I'm, looking I'm just looking at, at the, the Wikipedia. I'm looking at the 2015 one, so mm. maybe this is a different. Oh, movie. yeah, the, the yes. crosses in indicate that it's not included on the 2015 mm-hmm. revival mm-hmm. cast recording yes okay yes 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 mysterious ways mm-hmm. yeah somebody gonna love you yeah that one's there our prayer now i'm looking at the the original one so <laughs> this is no longer anyway anyway um, the we're color purple <laughs> <we> keep just <laughs> all right let's we gotta oh. do it I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of this book, I don't think, because it is an epistolary novel. She is writing about, like, every single aspect of what's happening to her. It could get a little tedious if I did go over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't try and hit the big, bigger plot points, though. Do it. I believe in you. So the book starts with a rather ominous line of, you better not tell nobody but God it'd kill your mammy. Um, and so the rest of the book is written in epistolary form. First, Celie, our main character, is writing notes to God. And then, because, you know, she's not allowed to tell nobody about God, but then she starts writing to her sister Nettie because she goes through kind of this religious revelation throughout the book. Um, But it opens with Celie. She's 14 years old. And (laughs) I don't even want to talk. Okay, she's 14 years old. So she is dealing with the issue of the fact that her stepfather, we find out later, is raping her. And uh, she's gotten pregnant twice. Twice. And he has taken the kids from her, doesn't tell her where they went, or she assumes they're dead, I think. Um, I think she she does for a little bit, but then she sees the one in the store. But then she finds them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, She is... She's kind of sticking around because she knows that her stepfather's attentions will turn to her younger sister if she is not there. So she tries to protect her from that. But eventually, um, a man who is known throughout most of the book as just Mr. and then a blank. I think he's just referred to as Mr. in like the uh, conversation about the book. But um, Mr. thinks that Nettie is beautiful and wants to marry her he goes to their father and he's like hey can I marry Nettie 
And the dad is like, no, you can't have Nettie because she is extremely smart and she's going places. I'm not going to see her married off to you, but you can marry my other daughter, Celie, who is like ugly. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Um, and this guy, I guess he's a widow and he has a ton of kids and he's kind of hard up for a woman to take care of his kids for him. So he agrees to marry Celie, leaving Nettie in the house alone with the stepdad. Um, Celie does, while in town one day, comes across a reverend and his wife, and uh, they have two kids, and Celie, looking at them, she just knows, like, those are my kids. They look exactly like me. They're my kids. So she kind of has this, she's happy to see that her kids are back. She doesn't really make any attempt to, like, reconnect with them or claim them or anything. She's just happy to know that they are with someone who can provide for them. Cool. Eventually, Nettie runs away from home for reasons that she doesn't really get into and goes to stay with Celie and her new husband. Uh, Mr. is making all kinds of sexual advances on Nettie because he still is attracted to her. Nettie says no, so Mr. kicks her out of the house. And obviously, Nettie doesn't want to go back to her home. So Celie says, hey, look, there's this... uh, Reverend and his wife, they've got money. I've, I've, they're the only black people I know that have money, so go to them. I'm sure they'll help you. And she doesn't hear back from Celie for, like, 20 years after that, and she assumes her sister is dead. Moving on. Wow. What a... What a... Heavy right from the start. <laughs> what a... What a funny book we've chosen i know guys honestly like (laughs) guys why okay um, like we're filling the prompt of our podcast certainly mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we're doing well by us but for you guys (laughs) i just don't i don't can't be interesting i'm sorry i remember when we were like talking about um changing the podcast format to this sort of idea of like being more you know positive and less because for those of you who haven't been listening to us from the beginning we used to be called hate read and our goal was to like try to find books that we hate um and we were like hey this is like a real bummer and we're kind of making ourselves miserable reading these like really handbooks <laughs> for mortals yeah handbooks save for the mortals. pearls uh yeah um <laughs> But we had, like, occasionally had fun, like, when we read Nation by Terry Pratchett, and it was still funny. So we were like, it's, oh, we can do this. We can read books that we like and still have, like, fun yes. and talk about them um, in a funny way. And generally, we can. <laughs> this is so, like, the material of this book, if we joked about it, we would just be assholes. Like, right? Like, it's not it's a funny like, thing to joke about. It's not. Like, it's just, like, hey, hey. Racism sucks, doesn't it? Like, yes, yes. The whole yes. premise of this book, like, and like, just like the generational poverty and yeah. not even understanding it's okay to not be with a man that hits you or to ask him to stop hitting you or to leave him if he's hitting you. Like, who? Oh my gosh. Yo, and like, um, the whole. See, now I'm jumping ahead, but like. Eventually, Nettie, the sister, goes off to Africa and is mm-hmm. writing letters to Celie that she gets later. As a missionary. She's, as a missionary, yes. Um, but, which, okay, like, we can talk about, like, how missionaries are problematic. And the book definitely engages with that. Oh, like, yeah. Hardcore. Um, <laughs> the book is like colonizers are assholes. <laughs> Alice Walker fully knows that, like, missionaries are problematic. But yeah. uh, Nettie is a missionary, and she goes to Africa, and there's, like, all of this stuff about, like, how, like, the people in Africa don't want or accept them either and it's Mm -hmm. like 
that is so fucking traumatic of being like taken from a place and separated from it by generations. Mm -hmm. And then like you go back to the place and they're like, yeah, no, you don't belong here either. And it's like, okay, well then where do we belong? Like this book was great, but Jesus Christ, you cannot make jokes about it. (laughs) No. Oh my gosh. I I mean, I guess there are some things that could be humorous, like, the fist fights at Harpo's, I guess, when Sophia mm. knocks this woman squeaks teeth out. <laughs> like that's I mean Yeah, it's a little funny, but also like But also then you think about everything else that led to that point and you're like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and I mean like I guess there is like some like you know, lighthearted and humorous stuff. Like and like, you know, obviously like Celie as it goes on, like finds joy and stuff. Um she like, makes with- pants. She makes pants. She starts a relationship with Suge. Uh, we are just Which I was not around. expecting the sapphic turn in this book at all. I, maybe this is the great gay American novel. I don't know. Um, <laughs> even that is like, you know, still tinged with like sadness because she then goes and like dates a younger man and abandons Celia for like, not abandons, but like they're at different places in their lives. She's um, like, let me months. have this one last fling for six months and I'll come back to you and... And then she leaves for more than six months. She does. She goes to Arizona. I have a question for you. Yeah. Is Suge Avery a garbage girl? Oh, yeah, I think so. Right? I think we finally found her. Because she's like, okay, so getting back to kind of the plot of the book, she's introduced, she's like, Mr.'s lost love right of like oh yes. they were gonna get to- married but his mm-hmm. dad said she's not good enough for you so they didn't get married and they have several kids together who are being raised by her parents and whatever um yes. because she's like a singer she travels mm-hmm. around and does blues singing um and does very well at it i and does quite well and is is uh, well known in the community mm-hmm. um but she shows up and she's such a dick to Celie, like immediately and oh, Celie yes. is just like obsessed with this woman from the go like before she she's even, the most beautiful woman she's ever seen yes but all. even before she shows up she's like she's heard stories about her so she's kind of like pinning these like ideals of like freedom for women on Suge mm-hmm. right of like she's this woman who goes out and does these things and has sexual freedom and has like freedom of movement that most women that Celie knows doesn't have because they have to stay with the kids and the husband and whatever mm-hmm. um so she has, like, all of these ideals about her, and then she shows up, and she's just such a dick to Celia. Like, she calls her, like, ugly right away. <laughs> she's, like, fucking her husband, like, basically in front of her. It's a whole mess. It's a, it's a mess. Mr. is the worst. <laughs> Until, I will say, I liked him at the end. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I would never. Like, I'm glad Celia, like, turned him down at the end. Oh, yeah, Because yeah, yeah, that yeah. would have been awful, but. No, no, no. He got he got a little better in his old age. Yeah, when he was just like an old dude who liked collecting seashells, I was like, I can get on board with this. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is the when he was like, oh, I made mistakes and I shouldn't have done those things. And also look at this niche seashell. I was like, I yeah. order them from catalogs. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is the vibe. Also, I love the fact that that's what people in oldie times used to do: is order seashells from catalogs. They didn't have Amazon where you could just buy any old garbage. You had to get niche. I mean, you had to order a catalog to order your very niche product <laughs> that was like a thing that i used to uh volunteer at uh living history museum mm-hmm. and um that was one of the things i had to tell the kids about was like we had this tiny stove that was like 
a model of a stove that they kept in the store so that if you wanted to order one from the catalog, you could see what the stove looked like beforehand. Oh, I love miniatures. Yeah, Yeah, a little, it wasn't like, it was like a, like kids baking, like a kids toy sized one. Oh, I love that even more. Yeah, but it was like made out of iron and whatever. Anyway, Uh fascinating stuff, I'm sure. (laughs) Really doing anything we can to avoid engaging with this book. Yes. Shug has to stay with Mr. and Seely for a while because she gets real sick and everybody else is kind of shunning her because she is a loose woman. Mm, so mm. Mr. takes takes her in and is basically just like, we're we're letting her stay here as long as she needs to. Seely nurses her back to health, falls in love with Shug. Um, Shug is, is – I liked Shug a lot. Um as one I, likes a garbage boy. Yes, you know? yes. I think this is Oprah in the movie. Oh, interesting. Yes. Um, but she essentially teaches Celie about sex, about pleasure, about being feminine, I guess, in a way that Celie never allowed herself to be because mm-hmm. she didn't have the time or energy or money, uh, which, you know, perfectly valid. Um, and... Shug eventually, I think, does fall in love with her. But I can't, I don't know if it's, like, a romantic love or a platonic love at times because. Oh, no, I think it's fully romantic. Yeah. I think I think that. Because I mean, Shug is... just seems a little bit, like, a selfish person. Like, she loves that Celie is devoted to her. But, like, does she love her as much? I don't know. I had a, a re- I think that Shug is just Polly is the situation. And Celie is. Uh, interested or wants a monogamous relationship and that just isn't how Shug mm. is you know yeah. wired or whatever um, she loves to love yeah and you know I you could get into the like okay she's kind of a character of like oh she's bisexual they don't say bisexual in the book but you know she is someone she who is. has relationships with more than one gender whatever you want to call that uh-huh. um and there is kind of that like oh they just can't settle down sort of vibe but like you know at the end she kind of did so whatever yeah she does eventually come back to Sealy. Mm-hmm. i did I, that was so like when they're so no, that's not the end of the book. We'll get there if we get there. I don't want to jump around like that. But anyway. Um, like I have for the last 15 minutes. <laughs> this is already like such a tangent episode. It's fine. <laughs> it has to be. There is no other way to do this book. Uh, we are <laughs> distancing ourselves from the trauma of what happens in this book. <laughs> so Shug eventually gets well enough to sing. Um I forgot to mention Harpo and Sophia. Mister has a son named Harpo who falls in love with... Which is Oprah spelled backwards and Oprah's company. And I was like... And Oprah was in the movie. Oprah was in the movie. Coincidence or Illuminati? I don't know. Uh, Someone play the X-Files theme right here. (laughs) I will put that in there. Um, to future self (laughs) download x-files theme (laughs) harpo falls in love with sophia and the problem with sophia is that um and i say problem 
in a way that it's not my problem with her. Harpo's problem with <laughs> Sophia is that Sophia is assertive and she knows what she wants and she knows what she likes and she does Which what she is wants what to do. Harpo likes about her, but he's too constrained by yes. the social like needs of like a man has to be this way in order to accept it. So it's not even like really a problem except in Harpo's mind. Yes. Man. Yes. Yes. His internalized misogyny whatever. against yes. Women? Well, misogyny, but, like, that's not... Anyway. It's against himself for not being yeah. stronger than Sophia. So, like... Intern- like, I guess it's just internalized toxic, masculinity. toxic masculinity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. He's got some problems. Um, To the point where, like, Sophia is, like, a sturdy and tall woman. Harpo tries to, like, eat more so that he becomes bigger than Sophia at one point. And mm. he's just... Of course, his dad's advice to Harpo is, like, well, just hit her. And she'll start becoming more docile. It doesn't work because Sophia hits back. Um, the two of them. And Celie also says to hit her. Because that's why yeah, that's Sophia has jealous. beef with uh, Celie for a bit. But then Celie explains that it's because, like, was jealous of Sophia and was, like, trying to take her down a peg because her own life is so miserable. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and then they become really good friends after that. Um I, I did love the female friendships in this book. Um, they were just so, I don't know, interesting. Like, they each, Celie was clearly, like, they were traits from each of the women, women that Celie had to learn from them. And, like, I don't know. It was just, it was nice. I liked I liked how the women all banded together. Um, Strong female friendships. Yes. Even, even Sophia and Squeak were friends, even though yeah. they were both sleeping with the same man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, there's this interesting thing of, like, again, jumping ahead, but, like, where they are both taking care of each other's children as needed, right? Yes, um, yeah. And, like, kind, and that's kind of, like, I feel like kind of the vibes of this book, right, where it's, like, okay, like, there's all of this petty bullshit and whatever, but at the end of the day, like, black women have to help out other black women because nobody else is going to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like this whole thing of like, okay, we have to band together and we have to have these strong female friendships because like, fuck everybody else. They are not, they are not here to help or protect us. Like they have failed on every level, you know? Yes. Yes. And we can't let the children, like we can't continue that generational Mm -hmm. trauma of, you know, like protect the children. Don't let them. Yeah grow up in the same situations and circumstances that we did. Um, so the, yeah, they do a really good job of providing that like sense of motherhood and extending it to all children. So Harpo keeps being very annoying to Sophia until she just ups and leaves him. She's like, I can't do this anymore. I'm taking the kids with me moving out. Harpo and his sadness about the situation <laughs> turns their house into like a nightclub situation. And once Suge is well enough, she goes down there to sing which is the first time that Celia has ever heard her sing. And she falls in love even more. That night, Sophia also comes to see Suge sing, and she gets into a fist fight with uh, Harpo's new love interest, Squeak, or Mary Agnes, I think is her real name. Everyone calls mm-hmm. her Squeak. Um, and she leaves the nightclub angrily and then gets into some trouble where she... She runs into the mayor and the mayor's wife in town, and the mayor's wife is like, wow, you are uh, something like, I think she comments on how, like, oh, you are beautiful or something, and then is like, will you come work for me in my house? 
And Sophia is insulted by that. And she says, hell no. And the mayor's like, excuse me, what did you say to my wife? And Sophia just, like, decks this guy. <laughs> but as satisfying as that temporarily is, it's the South, 1900s. Terrible things happen. Sophia ends up going to jail after being um, beaten by the police. And then she's just in jail for 12 years. And Squeak comes in and has to take care of the kids and stuff. Yeah, and they have to, like, have Or she's sentenced whole... to jail for 12 years. She doesn't stay there for 12 years, yeah. Right, because they have this whole thing where they're like, oh, she's basically not going to make it the 12 years because she's, like, so destroyed, basically, by being in jail. So they there's a whole plot to go, like, make an appeal to the warden, um, which goes to some dark places but eventually Sophia is released to the care of the mayor and his wife who keep her on as an indentured servant for and 12 years and make her years. live under the house and, and make her live under the house and it's basically slavery and it's awful much like much like many prisoners experience today anyway <laughs> uh, we're really just hitting on a lot of controversial topics this episode I love it we're getting political, guys. When have like, we not been, been political, political Jesus? Um, I'm trying to think of what happens then. Like, some time passes, and uh, Suge goes away. Suge has to leave. So she, she, and, she and Sophia have – or not Sophia. She and Celie start a sexual relationship, and then Suge gets well enough, and she leaves. Mm. Um, but not before Celie has told her, like, hey, Mr. Hits Me – um, and I don't like that. And Shug is like, I'll tell him to stop. And also I will, you know, I'm, that means I'm no longer, she, she no longer pursues any sort of sexual relationship with Mr. Because she's like never known that about him. And obviously this changes him in her eyes for the worse. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then she leaves and she is gone for a while. And she gets married to this guy named Grady. Um, Who just likes smoking pot. He just likes smoking just- pot and having sex with Squeak. There's a lot of just like partner swapping in this in this book also, which it was just very like matter of fact, like, yeah, we all know what's happening and I don't care. Uh, so it's around this time that we find out that um, Nettie, Celie's younger sister, has been writing letters to Celie this entire time. And Mr. has been hiding them from Celie. Some of them he's been reading and others he just he just hides them because he's the only one that goes to the mailbox. I don't know why. But he is. He's the only one allowed to get the mail. So he's been hiding her letters. And when we find out that she's been doing the missionary stuff in Africa and um, one of her last letters is like, yeah, but we're on our way home now. So I'll see you soon. And then um, Celie kind of goes through this crisis of faith and also gets like super pissed off at Mr. and lashes out. And then she's like, I'm fucking leaving. Um Oh, also, we get a lot of no. I'm sorry, I'm getting the the notes. I didn't like write a ton of notes for this because I was like, I can't. It's too sad. <laughs> I don't want to revisit it too many times. Um, we get a lot of information about Celie's children and how they're also like growing up to be super nice and wonderful individuals, um, and they how they've basically grown up with the children of the. Um, I don't remember what they, there's basically like whatever village that they have ended up 
doing their missionary work in the um Celie's kids end up like becoming very close to these children and one of them like falls in love with a girl in the in the village and they get married and she's also coming with them back to America anyway Celie's like fuck this fuck you fuck god Shug's like whoa hold on can't say fuck god (laughs) that's crossing a line um let me tell you about my thoughts on god and it's kind of very much like this natural sort of like God's gonna God's gonna love you no matter what you do so everything you do is in some sort of celebration to God as long as you're enjoying yourself and like God is everywhere and can be anyone or anything sort of situation and Sibley's like well I'm just gonna start writing letters to Nettie now because I know that Nettie's alive so we no longer write the letters to God um but she also she kind of also goes along with this there's some there's stuff here about the color purple it's a good color. It's good. Color. I mean, like it, it's first introduced at the beginning when, yeah. like, something about like Shug wearing a purple dress or whatever. But I mean, it's all symbolic and it works in the book. Yeah. You know? Or Celie like, wants that's... to buy a purple dress. When... Yeah, because she's like she thinks that that's what Shug would wear, but they don't yes. have purple. They only have blue. I yeah, think. or something. Anyway, point being, purple's a great color. Feels Enjoy unattainable. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there is a lot of like that whole history of like dye and whatever of like Mm. purple was hard to obtain. Also red was hard to obtain. And also like sometimes when people said red, they meant purple and purple and they meant red. Anyway. um, (laughs) Color. It's a a great color. Everybody should enjoy it. Also, it's the gayest color. We all know this to be true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Celie goes with Suge back to Memphis and starts living her best life. She's loving Suge. She's making pants. She's starting her mm. own pants business. Also highly symbolic. We all get it. Yes. Um, and then I try. Oh, then she gets a letter that her she has inherited land because her dad has died. And he's not really her dad. It's her stepdad. Her real dad died a long time ago. Um, so it wasn't really incest, but it was incest because it's still like her dad <laughs> she was under the assumption that it was her father the entire time that he was having sex with her therefore the emotional and even if he, she didn't think it was her father it was just some dude who raised her it would still be like fucked up and yes it incestuous. was ex- yeah yeah uh, so she moves back into her childhood home makes this house a home and Suge is like I love this young man now we've already talked about that she kind of breaks up with Celie. Well, Celie breaks up with her more than she breaks up with Celie, but they're, like, still best friends, and so they write to each other a lot. And Celie's like, I'll love, always love you if you don't love me back, but I will always love you. Mr. has – he's kind of, like – he's changed. Like, he's lost a lot of money and had to sell off a lot of his land. All his kids have left him and they're all kind of bums except Harpo who's hangs out and you know, he's, he's still there with his, his nightclub. He even built a new house next to the nightclub to live in. Um, and Celie just starts talking to Mr. Again and we learn his name is Albert and she calls I think him we Albert. Technically knew that before because Suge called him Albert a yeah, few times, but this realized. is like the time that she starts referring to him as Albert in her head because he is no longer this like threatening sort of like presence who's just Mister, right? Like it's like yes. oh, he's a person named Albert. 
right? Yes, yes. And Albert, he confesses that he he loved sewing as a child, but everyone would make fun of him and make him never learn how to sew. And Scooby's like, well, I'll teach you now. So they sit out on the front porch, two old people learning how to sew. Cute. Oh, yeah. Um, and he's like, hey, do you want to get married? But this time, like, for real, real? And Scooby's like, no. <laughs> I do not want that. He's um, There's also a little bit of questioning, and he's like, oh, like, what's up with you liking women? And she's like, yeah, I straight up do not like men. I am full yeah, on. Yeah, they look like the- frogs down there, is what she says. <laughs> um, and then we get news that Nettie has died. She gets a telegram that's like, oh, hey, there's a world war going on right now. Just in the background. It's kind of background noise. It's mentioned vaguely a few times. The world war is going on, and the boat that your sister and her family were on has ha- was sunk by German mines or something submarines i don't know so she's dead and that's very sad but then it turns out she's not dead because she shows up at the end and i was like Yay. here i am and so it was like you worried that you wouldn't have anywhere to go when you came back uh but this is our house now here's all my friends it's been 30 years and Nettie brings all of her family because she's kids, married the, yeah. the dude and the kids and the kids, well, who are actually Celia's kids, but, you know, like, she's basically raised them and uh, the the son's new wife and, like, ugh, ugh, the ending was so good. I was like, I thought this was, I really thought was this satisfying. was going to end. Yeah, I thought it was going to end on, like, the downer note of, like, kind of, like, bittersweet note of Celie basically being, like, Oh, I still think Nettie is out there somewhere, yes, but I never like being sure. But no, it was like no, she comes back. It's okay. It's okay. Like I'm like, oh, thank you for giving us this, Alice Walker. Yeah, you she didn't... meets her kids. Ugh. She's reunited with her sister, and it was all happy. See, yeah. this is the thing. I'm like, it was. It was. I think it was a happy ending. It was. Yeah, it was certainly happier than I ever expected would come after everything that wasn't happy. It's a very. It was a very good book. I very much. I'm glad I read it. I enjoyed reading it. I will probably not return to it, mm-hmm. <laughs> at least not anytime soon. Um, but it's definitely a book I feel like everybody should read. It's very good. Yeah. Liked it a lot. Yeah. Well, cool. Let's Great. let's wrap it up then. Not talk yeah. about it anymore because <laughs> it's very emotional. <laughs> moving forward. Do I talk about this here now? Yeah, moving forward. I, we've kind of already talked about it at the top of the episode, but we're looking for what would, what do you what would you like to see? Any like certain populations or regions yes. of the country? I think we have talked about rich white people, snooze, and poor white people a little bit in Great Gatsby. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you know, obviously, like not saying that either Great Gatsby or The Color Purple fully encapsulates those populations, but um, kind of the the uh, Descendants of slavery, kind of that sort of uh, mm-hmm. group. I would like to see kind of two ends of the spectrum here, either an immigrant story mm-hmm. or a story from Native Americans would be the two mm-hmm. I would like to aim for here. So we'll be reading The Last of the Mohicans. Just kidding, guys. No, just kidding. No, just kidding. no, we just don't kidding. ever need 100% to do just that. Kidding. <laughs> uh, that would be on the list of books that make me hate the great American novel. Yes, um, agreed. I think DeForest hated it, too, if that makes you feel any better. Good, good. <laughs> but I think he hated it for really sketch reasons. He's like, probably. it focused on Indians and not real Americans. This is his quote in the book. And I was like, yikes. I would argue it didn't focus enough on Native Americans. And also the ending of it is 
just fucking horrible and just just absolute schlock i hate it so much anyway um mm-hmm. so not that but if you can find a book by uh native authors that would be great or if you can find a book uh dealing with the uh immigrant experience i would like that as well Excellent. that is that has been hailed by somebody somewhere as a great american novel i think is kind of our like one rule about this unit someone right? has to have said someone somewhere has to say that this is a great american novel <laughs> I can do that. All right. I've got a couple in mind um, okay. already, so hopefully I can narrow it down. But, you know, <laughs> I hate making decisions. Yeah, don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I think that wraps it up for this yeah. episode. Um, yeah. So next week we'll be back with another Morph Monday with Animorphs number 40-something. 43, I think. 43? That sounds right. Let me see. Is it is it the one we just read? Uh, I haven't read it yet, but possibly. The one, um, the one I read. Yeah, 43, The Test. Okay. Animorphs number 43, The Test. Um, and then the week after that, I believe <laughs> we will be... Is it going to be another heavy one? Uh, spoilers, but... The Test? I think so, yeah. Oh. We're, no. It's a Tobias POV and Uh-oh. someone uh, from the last Tobias POV comes back in a way <gasps> that is distressing to Tobias. Oh, no. I can't remember what the last Tobias POV was, so. It was the one where he was captured. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, our boy. Um, well, the week after that should be should be lighter fare because we're going to be wrapping up our Highland Time Slip Romance Unit. Yes. Um, so I have had just so much trouble picking a book for this to the point Good. where I'm currently <laughs> sitting here with several tabs open trying to make a final decision. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the problem I'm having is they're okay, all okay. basically the same. <laughs> so the thing <laughs> from, I mean, I'm not saying they're all the same, but but they are very similar <laughs> in their descriptions there is on time Goodreads. travel. There are Highlanders and there is romance. Yeah, it's a lot of when this woman in some sort of modern career abruptly lands in medieval Scotland, she would never predict that this laird or second son of the clan is going to fall in love with her and they're going to have a lot of sex but that's basically every single synopsis for one of these books so i'm picking this base just solely on the fact that it is a setup that we haven't seen yet i did find one at some point because i've been looking for one of these for ages i was like pouring through different romance stuff just to find something that fucking sticks out and there was one Uh i found that was like a girl highlander traveling forwards in time and i was like Ah. yes perfect new but I lost it. I didn't bookmark it. And I have no. not been able to find it again. So if anybody knows what that is, let me know. I'll read it. Um, <laughs> but instead, I Damn. think what we're going to read is... Did I exit out of this page? Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. Um, here it is. We're going to read A Highlander for Christmas by Sandy Blair. You bringing me a Christmas romance? I have. I have. Because... I believe in this one, it is like the last one we read in which it is Highlander moving forward, but it's all the way forward to modern times. So slightly You said a Highlander for Christmas? A Highlander for Christmas, yes. By Paula Quinn. Uh, by, right. No, by Sandy Blair. Oh my God, what? 
I'm on there the wrong might one. be multiple books called a Highlander for Christmas. It's two very popular romance genres, Highland and Christmas. So it seems seems like there's probably more than one. Oh my god! Oh my god! But we're looking at the Sandy Blair one because that's a time slip one. <laughs> Wonderful! I can't wait to dive back into the world of Christmas romance. I don't think I'm saying it's going to be one you'll like because, again, it's very hard to tell from the synopsises. But <laughs> I think it is something different, at least. Tis Hopefully. the season to be jolly. Exactly. That's the first line of the blurb. You know Indeed it's going to be it good. Is. Already referencing Christmas stuff. And the man on the cover has no shirt whatsoever and a kilt. So great, excellent. What more could you ask for? (laughs) One of my Goodreads friends has read this and rated it two stars. (laughs) Oh, good. Oh, good. (laughs) But it's got it's got a three point eight eight. So you know, I don't always agree with this person's rating. There you go. So we shall see. I'm also planning to read like 10 of these other Highlander books between now and then just to so I can have a thorough understanding of the genre. (laughs) The fact that there are so many of them is just so many. So many. There's so it's kind of like I've been really reading a lot of like K-pop romances Mm -hmm. and there's there's always a touch of like this was just like rpf fan fiction like this was a Mm -hmm. you wrote this about bts and then turned it into a book um but yeah they're all the same (laughs) i love it there's some comfort there you just got to find the one thing that brings you comfort in a romance and only read those books and for a lot of people it's highland time slip apparently yeah yeah well you know for me it's enemies (laughs) to lovers k-pop romance uh the one where the villain is sexy. <laughs> and for me, it's things that are vaguely based on uh, fairy tales in which no one actually kisses until the very end. And there's a lot of longing staring at each other. And <laughs> until three books into the series. <laughs> Till three. No, I didn't like that. That was too much. Too much edging. <laughs> but you stuck with it to get to the sex. I, did, I can. I had to see. I can respect that. Had to see what was up. <laughs> All right. We also have like kind of a fun uh, blending of two units, a book we found. I won't go any more into it, but I do want to say it on the podcast so we don't forget about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm really dreading and excited to read that one. (laughs) It should be interesting. Yes. Um, In the meantime, if you have a suggestion for us, a book you would love for us to read on the podcast, either because you think we would love it or hate it, you can tweet at us at ShelfAwareCast or email us ShelfAwareCast at gmail.com. As always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. We are also on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms. So if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should. I know you are interested in finding out what my uh, little spoiler was all about. So you got to subscribe so that you don't miss it. If you use Apple Podcasts review, no, if you use Apple Podcasts, we'd very much appreciate a five-star review. But if you don't, that's all right, because you are allowed to talk about us anywhere on the internet you would like. In the words of Alice Walker, but Celie, in the middle of the night, she woke up, turned to Samuel and said, I believe and died anyway. (laughs) That was the exact one I had it made me laugh aloud. I was like, yeah. it wasn't supposed to be funny, but it was. It she just died. It, uh, that's, 
that's a quote about a character I didn't even mention. <laughs> yeah, I think it was maybe supposed to be a little funny, like, yeah, yeah. humor a little bit, but... Yeah. Nettie was anyway. definitely like this bitch <laughs> by the end of that whole lifespan, I guess. Ugh, love it. Great. Did either of us do any research into grade of, or no, that I would did, be your yes. job. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot this wasn't a user generated one. I was like, oh, <laughs> this was just winging it. No, I did it. Okay. All right. I brought us to this place. <laughs> Uh...